Welcome to the BOGScast, where faculty and staff at the BOG Center on Developmental Disabilities explore best practice, showcase success stories, and help listeners envision possibilities for innovation through interviews with state and national experts. Part of Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical School, the BOG Center is New Jersey's University Center for Excellence in Developmental Disabilities and Leadership in Neurodevelopmental Disabilities Program. I'm Jamie Zahid, a training and consultation specialist at the BOG Center. I'm joined by my colleague, Steve Grislavik, advocate and consultant. In this episode, we'll be discussing self-determination with Dr. Carrie Shogren. Dr. Shogren is the director of the Kansas University Center on Developmental Disabilities. She is a senior scientist at the Scheifelbush Lifespan Institute and is a professor in the Department of Special Education at the University of Kansas. Dr. Shogren's research focuses on assessment and intervention in self-determination and supported decision-making for people with disabilities. Dr. Shogren has led multiple grant-funded projects, self-determination interventions in schools and community contexts. She has published over 180 articles in peer-reviewed journals, is the author or co-author of 10 books, and is the lead author of the Self-Determination Inventory. A recently validated assessment of self-determination and the supported decision-making inventory system. The first assessment of the supports needed to involve people with intellectual and developmental disabilities in decisions about their lives. Welcome, Dr. Shogren and uh, Steve Grislavik. It's an honor, um, Dr. Shogren, to have you here today. We're so excited for you to share some talents, um, some of your time and talents, excuse me, and knowledge with us here in New Jersey. Um, and I think I'm going to pass it over to Steve to, to get us started on the good stuff. I think what would be nice to start would be um, a lot of us uh, get into this field for several reasons. Um, me, myself, I'm an individual with a disability and an advocate. And um, Jamie has uh, siblings who are uh, disabled as well. Um, so I think where, where we'd like to start is uh, what inspired you to get into the field? Thanks, Steve. And thanks to you and Jamie for having me here today. I look forward to the conversation. And yeah, you know, it's always such a great question for all of us to kind of share um, how we got to the place um, that we are in the areas of focus. So my work around self-determination, I'm not sure that when I initially started my career that I realized that this was where I was going to wind up. Um, I was very interested in issues related to supporting people with disabilities because of some personal um, issues um, and experiences I had had as I was growing up. Um, but when I first started my education, um, I didn't really know about this notion of enabling people to be self-determined and to direct their own lives. I actually started my career working in you know, segregated settings. Um, but something always felt like there was something we could do better, um, you know, just reacting to people's behavior, which was what I was being trained to do, rather than seeing that as a form of communication, rather than recognizing that the systems that are segregating people might be what's broken, um, not people. Um, I, I really recognize that I, at some point, knew that something needed to be different. I didn't know what that was. I then myself um, had kind of the onset of some very serious um, health-related issues, 
that made it even more clear to me that the lack of systemic supports um, were one of the bigger barriers to me living the life that I wanted and my friends with disabilities leading the life that they wanted than um, some of the, the things that we were doing. So I managed to get connected to some of the research that was going on at that time around really empowering and supporting people with disabilities to self-determine their own lives um, and was able to pursue my graduate studies really focused in that area. And so it's been really just my privilege over the course of my career to have opportunities to partner with advocates with disabilities, with researchers with disabilities to help continue to move this forward because Ultimately, if we're trying to, you know, enable all people to have the lives that they want to live, people have to be at the center of that. And that's kind of been the guiding um, value for my work. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned something in your response um, just about, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, here, um, about, you know, we, we did what we knew before sort of idea. And now that we know better, we're, we're doing better. Can you sort of touch on that and how that um, sort of works into the the idea of self-determination? Yeah, you know, I think that as a society, um, we all know the history of disability as something that unfortunately all too often disability has been viewed as a problem, as something that's kind of contained to a person and not understood the broader social context that really creates barriers and limits opportunities. And so long as we pathologize disability and don't celebrate disability as a form of diversity, we create those barriers. And so I think to me, one of the most important things is those shifts to recognize disability as a form of diversity, to recognize name and challenge the systemic barriers and the ableism that pervades a lot of our systems. And we really have to make those changes to enable people um, to actualize their self-determination. Each person has the capacity for self-determination. They just need supportive context. And so I think it's really critical, and we try to do this in you know, the work that I and my team and others do, to really recognize that it's about supporting a person um, to develop those skills and opportunities that let them direct their own lives, but also really advocating and um, you know, navigating the systems change that's needed to really reframing how people think about disability, to recognize that this is just part of um, you know, the diversity that's present in society. Um, to really enable people to do the things that they want to do and to have the opportunities that they want to have. I think it's interesting. This is uh, the second podcast that Steve and I have recorded together, and it's the second time that we've recognized in the conversation that disability is part of this um, larger social conversation that we're having around equity and diversity. Um, I think it's just interesting that I think those of us that are in this field absolutely see that. And for people that are not, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis involved in disabilities, um, they sort of miss that, that disability is part of that, that conversation, or at least it, it should be. Um, so for those that are listening and maybe aren't exactly sure what exactly we're talking about, um, for, for lack of a better question, I suppose, uh, Dr. Shogren, do you mind just sort of defining what is self-determination? 
Yeah, it's a great question. And thanks for the opportunity to share a little bit. Um, you know, self-determination and self-determined people really are people that are enabled to cause or act and make things happen in their lives. When I'm talking about self-determination, I'm really talking about that characteristic that all of us have um, of kind of having those opportunities and those abilities to make things happen. We often say that self-determined people are causal agents. They cause or make things to happen in their lives as they're setting um, and working towards goals and outcomes that are important to them. So that means that when we really think about self-determination, it's something that we're really trying to support and build and grow throughout the life course in people. We can do things in schools to enable young people with and without disabilities to grow in those skills that are essential to acting in a self-determined way, making choices, solving problems, setting goals, advocating for things that you want and need. So self-determination is really kind of growing and having that characteristic of being able to make things happen in your life. It's influenced by our environments. Environments can restrict opportunities for self-determination. They can really create opportunities. So a lot of it is about that structuring those supports in ways that enable self-determination. But self-determination, as I think and talk about it in the work that we do, is really about kind of growing and having that characteristic of being able to make things or cause things to happen in your life. Yeah, and look, looking uh, towards the future, uh, why, why does self-determination matter for uh, future generations of individuals with disabilities? Yeah, I think... It's really a very simple answer in some ways, but very complex in terms of how that plays out throughout all parts of society. But think about it for anyone, anyone that's listening, if you're involved in identifying the things that are important to you and choosing where you live and identifying kind of the future that you want, that's personally meaningful. We're gonna be more motivated to do things, to take action. Um, and we all have the right to do that. Everyone has the fundamental right um, to be a part of decision-making about their lives. And so we know from a lot of research that when people are more self-determined, when they're supported to grow in these abilities, to make decisions, to set and go after goals, to advocate, that it actually predicts better outcomes. Like for example, when young people leave high school with higher levels of self-determination because they've gotten good teaching, good supports, they're more likely to have integrated employment, to participate in their community and other things. Those, we still need to build the supports in the community that allow that to happen, but self-determination is really critical for the person to have those skills and abilities to really take advantage of opportunities to make things happen in their life in partnership with their families, with other supporters that they want to happen. Yeah. I've, and I, I, I also I also think that the, the theory of self-determination is great. Um, but you know, uh, you're, you're eventually going to have parents and other family members and uh, individuals within the community um, that have some concerns about using a self-determination method. Um, how, how do uh, families and members of the community um, go about, you know, how do you go about easing those concerns? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great question, Steve, and I think it's definitely a process. It starts with some of the things we talked about, like changing those broader societal ideas. People with disabilities have the right to 
explore options, to take risk, um, to do other things that they want to do in their lives. And just that broad understanding that that's a fundamental right. Not everyone makes the best choices all the time. And we work with our support networks to navigate those things. Um, so I think kind of that broad understanding of that is really important. But then I think it is, you know, in some of the work that we do, we really work to share information with families, with other supporters about what it really means to support growth in self-determination, to think together about how can we really um, empower young people and adults with disabilities to be identifying goals and then to be learning together. Like, let's take an example of, I might identify a goal that not all of my friends might think is the best thing for me to be working on. Maybe, um, you know, they're not necessarily gonna be in agreement, but I have that right and that opportunity to try to then maybe make revisions, to change, to take input from others. That's a very different process than, process than being told that no, this isn't the right goal. Don't think about that. Don't explore that. Do something different. So what we want to do is create those supports around people that allow for exploration, allow for testing with supports um, as we all do, but all too often those opportunities are limited um, for no good reason um, other than kind of expectations for people with disabilities. Um, and I think it's important that, that we let parents know um, it's about incremental steps. Um, you know, you don't you don't just go and and grow the person out into the wild. Um, you have to take incremental steps um, just to see where they are, uh, and you might be surprised with what they already know. Um, and as far as as far as goal setting, um, you know, the individual may have a, a goal that they may never be able to attain. Right? I'm in a wheelchair. I'm never going to go walk uh, walk a tightrope. In a circus, um, but you know there may be something there. Maybe maybe I like uh, maybe I like the lights at the show, and maybe I'm going to be lighting. Um, so it's really working with the individual and the person um, to figure out what they could you know uh, do uh, that still has them involved with the greater community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I love that example, Steve, and you're actually kind of describing how we and some of the interventions that we use in schools and communities to kind of build self-determination skills, exactly what we do. We kind of always say, let's not be a dream buster. If Steve wants to explore being a tightrope walker, but think about the opportunities. You could go do research on what is actually involved in a career as a tightrope walker. What kind of resources um, and what can you learn from that about what you like? Another example we often have with adolescents when we're setting like career and employment goals is we'll have young people that often say they want to be you know, a professional football player or go to the Olympics. And again, explore what is it about that that's of interest and how do you refine and change those goals? So Steve, rather than being a tightrope walker, maybe it's that you're shining the lights on the person walking on the tightrope <laughs> or traveling with the circus. And until you explore that, you don't really understand and have that opportunity to think through those things. And that's the critically important piece. Goals are not necessarily always about just attaining them. It's about the process of learning about yourself, learning about your environment and becoming more self-determined 
in how you identify those things that are important to you. I, I love both of all of those examples. Um, St Steve knows, um, Dr. Shogren, I do um, trainings around person-centered planning for support coordinators in New Jersey. Uh, and during that training, we're always talking about hopes and dreams for life and helping people develop what their, their outcomes are going to be. Um, and the, the example I always go to is somebody might tell you that they want to be a cheerleader for the Dallas Cowboys. And, you know, that's, you know, disability aside, that's really hard to achieve that. Um, but, you know, we can have a conversation with that person and figure out maybe they just really love football. Maybe they love to be the center of attention. Maybe they love being on a football field and the energy. And there's a lot that you can take from that without telling someone you can't do that. Um, so I find it interesting how, um, you know, no matter whom I'm talking to in this field, I feel like the, the conversations always sort of come full circle. <laughs> yeah. And I think, Jamie, I love kind of that example and how they do connect. And I think the other piece too is it's both that kind of those conversations and that exploration piece, but there's so many opportunities inside of that to think about, well, what does it take to build an action plan for actually exploring what it might take to be a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader or a tightrope right. walker? How do I learn and build the skills that will let me evaluate is there a good fit between this um, and kind of my strengths, the things that I actually want to be doing? And in many ways, it's that process of identifying kind of a goal or areas of interest, building an action plan for how to move forward and what supports you need, and then figuring out, did that work? Did that not work? Do I need to change my goal? Do I need to change my action plan? And those are just critical skills um, that are going to carry forward across so many life domains. And people that are self-determined have higher um, kind of opportunities and abilities to use those skills because they been given those supports and that's what leads to better outcomes we believe absolutely um in your your dd lecture series that you did for the bog center and for those that are not aware um the dd lecture series uh, you can find recordings on our website if you go to our homepage on the left hand navigation and you can find dr shogren's recording from this fall's um DD lecture series, excuse me. Um, but during your session, you talked a lot about um, how, and I'm paraphrasing again, um, it's not necessarily the destination, it's the journey. Um, and I find it so interesting, um, the longer I'm in this field, how so often I'll hear things illustrated where I'm like, this applies to everybody. This is sort of not exactly disability specific. Um, but in this world of, of disability supports and services, we do need to outline this clearly for people um, so that we're not excluding individuals with disabilities from life experiences that they have they have the right to to experience um, so during the lecture series uh, you spoke about different stages of life uh, you mentioned that information for older elderly aged category adults um, there's not a lot of information available and it's not often studied. Um, so what do you think the reason is for that? And what do you think that we can all do to work towards changing that? Yeah, you know, I, I don't think any of us or anyone would argue that self-determination isn't important and isn't relevant across the life course. I mean, think about how in young children, you can build some of these foundational skills and create opportunities. Um, but what I'll say is that 
self-determination, especially thinking about supporting the growth and development of self-determination, it really received a lot of attention, um, especially in the special education field um, in the late 90s and the early 2000s as a way to really think about how do we support young people as they're transitioning from school to adult life? Because that's just a period where there's so many changes, where the things we've talked about of exploring goals for career pathways, for living in your community, for building relationships. There's so many natural opportunities there. So from a research kind of an implementation perspective of self-determination interventions, a lot of that work happened kind of in school and then in early adulthood as people were moving um, back and forth between that. There's been more and more kind of identification of the importance of kind of building self-determination abilities um, throughout the life course um, in adult services and supports um, and in creating systems like, you know, self-directed funding and other tools to give people more opportunities to self-determine their own lives. But there's been a lot of focus on how do we build these self-determination abilities in kind of high school and as people are transitioning into kind of those early careers or post-secondary education. Um, so I think that's just where things have been concentrated. But again, it's going to matter as you go throughout life. And I think as a field, we're starting to talk more and more about like, what does meaningful retirement mean um, for adults with disabilities? We, you know, how do we plan for these ongoing life transitions? So there's a lot of points um, where self-determination is going to be um, important there and more and more work, I hope is gonna to continue to focus on all of those kind of life stages. I find it interesting before, I don't know, three or four years ago, maybe five or six, I'd never really heard of retirement in the context of disability. Uh, and I love that we are having that as part of the conversation now because you know, people with disabilities, whether they're employed and hopefully they are or not, um, deserve that period in life where you know we watch daytime soaps and go to lunch with our girlfriends. <laughs> And if that's, you know, and, and maybe you have a different definition of retirement, but that sounds awesome to me. Um, but we're entitled to that. And I think it's, it's great. It's, it's not so great that we haven't had this conversation too often in the past, but it's great that we're fixing the narrative and, and moving towards that. Jamie, you provided a great example of where self-determination in retirement. Do you want to watch soap operas and, you know, hang out with your friends? Or do you want to explore something different or, you know, contribute to charities or whatever it is that you're wanting to do? And so people should have options and supports to kind of figure those same things out um, during that period. Absolutely. Um, so... Dr. Shogren, um, can you talk to us a little bit about the assessments that you have um, designed and uh, come up with for individuals to, to figure out how self-determined am I? How can I you know, find supports? And I'll, I'll stop talking and you explain what they are. <laughs> Yeah, we've been really fortunate um, to be able to develop a tool called the self-determination inventory. And, you know, if you search that, you should be able to find it online. We built it so that it's um, online so it can be accessible to people. And really the goal was to make sure that both um, for 
people that are experiencing kind of interventions and other supports and want to look at how things are changing over time or just to get a picture of where um, they might need additional supports or want additional supports around their self-determination. Um, that was really kind of the goal of creating this tool. So we have a student report version that's really more for those kind of middle school, high school students. Um, it's even something that some teachers will do with students. Um, and it gives you at the end a profile of kind of where are your strengths, especially around these areas of like deciding on goals, creating action plans um, for going after your goals, and then really feeling empowered and believing um, that you can kind of take steps forward um, to those areas. We also have an adult report version for adults with and without disabilities. We've collected a lot of data um, across all people because we believe these ideas are critical for everyone. And so we think that it can be useful to kind of get that profile of where are you in these different areas. And the website has some resources and other tools that like, let's say that you're really a strength for you is in kind of that deciding on your goals area. But maybe, you know, you're, you're looking like um, it's a little bit less of a strength in kind of developing those action plans. Like here might be some strategies or some tools that you could use to continue to grow. Um, we think, you know, as we talked about across the life course, self-determination is always growing and changing. It's not as though there's an outcome here that we're seeking that all of a sudden you're a self-determined person. That's not the case. Self-determination is something that kind of we're always working on. And so this can kind of help give you that snapshot of at that point in time. And it's really exciting for us. We've used it in both a lot of projects and a lot of other activities where we'll have someone complete it before they start maybe doing something where they're really engaging in self-determination interventions or using a new service or support. And then look again at the end. And are we seeing that growth? in self-determination that we would expect and hope to be seeing. And then I think it can tell us too, if we're not, we probably need to change something about how those services um, and supports are being structured. And if it is, that's great. Then that's you know supporting the person to really have those opportunities and those resources that let them be that agent over their life or make things happen. I find it interesting again, and I said this earlier that the um, the tool you mentioned that there's there's a tool for people with and without disabilities, um, and I I hope that some you know some of the people listening to this podcast might share this with you know loved ones friends who do and don't have disabilities, and I think that that's hopefully an important part of um, of helping to change this narrative of raising expectations that you know. Those of us who may or may not identify as a person with a disability, regardless, um, are entitled to have these conversations about what it is uh, that, that we want to do with our life. Yeah, Jamie, I um, really kind of resonate with that point. And it was a strong goal of ours that we really, we use the same tool for all people. We make sure to collect data and make sure it works and kind of gives useful information for people with and without a range of disabilities. Um, but, you know, this is not something that's just specific to disability. Self-determination is important for everyone. People with disabilities, however, have been marginalized in many ways in their access to opportunities to live self-determined lives. So even when we see differences 
And we do, unfortunately, um, at least in some of our research, people with disabilities tend to report lower levels of self-determination than people without disabilities. But to me, that has nothing necessarily to do with a disability per se. It's the lack of opportunities and supports. And so it tells us that change is needed. But I think it's really important that, yeah, this isn't some you know separate special thing that we're doing. This is something that's important for everyone. We just have to support everyone in the ways that they need to be supported. Right, right. So often I see, you know, an individual with a disability might be 30, 40, 50 years old. Um, and we're talking about life experiences that are typical for, you know, children or maybe even teenagers. Um, and that individual hasn't had the opportunity for life experiences, you know, that, that are typical for their age. Um, and so right there, that's, you know, obviously a detriment to them living that self-determined life if they don't know what is out there. Yeah, uh, so New Jersey is ranked 35th uh, as far as uh, quality of life for individuals with disabilities. Obviously, we have a lot of work to do um, with this regard. Um, so how, how, how can we promote these concepts more on the state level um, to get individuals within the state government to um, listen um, and expand their minds and be open to more ideas um, regarding these concepts? Because there, there's still a tremendous amount of uh, worry, concern, and uh, fear. Yeah, that's a great question, um, Steve. And I think this is something that, you know, all states, um, you know, New Jersey and others are struggling and trying to figure out good pathways forward. You know, I, I would say, I think kind of three initial things maybe jump to my mind. One is just the education of those, you know, state decision makers, state policymakers on you know, this idea of self-determination and the broader just right of people with disabilities to have a seat at the table in the decision-making. People with disabilities should be involved in all phases of designing the supports and services and the systems that they're in because those lived experiences are really what enables the critical features to be identified. You know, I think some other areas more concretely um, is thinking about, so, you know, self-determination assessments are available, you know, can that be something that there's better kind of assessment of within systems? Is this an outcome? If this is important for people that are being supported, are we tracking this information? Are we making sure that we're holding systems accountable for the opportunities um, for self-determination and for people to live self-determined lives? Also, I think a lot of these ideas, like some of the self-determination interventions I've mentioned um, that we do a lot of work with can be embedded in supports and services. We have multiple um, either state partners or kind of um, organizational partners in communities across the country where we really work to use some of these self-determination ideas and organize community groups or embed them in the process of like planning for individualized service planning goals or other areas. So there are opportunities and there are kind of evidence and research-based interventions that can be built into supports and services to really enable these outcomes to become a reality for people. It just takes that awareness the planning for that um, and really prioritizing this as an area of importance. Yeah. And also making sure that uh, individuals with disabilities are, are comfortable having those conversations is also really, really important. 
um, you know, to ensure that they really do have a seat at the table. Um, because a lot of times uh, life experience leads people to be subject matter experts on, on these sort of issues. Um, and if, if you're not uh, intimately involved in some of the issues uh, on a personal level, you really, you know, have no comprehension of what goes on on yeah. time. Yeah, I agree right. so much, Steve. And I think that all of us um, that act in supporter roles need to constantly be pushing ourselves in this area. I have a story that I often tell. So we have, you know, self-determination interventions. I mentioned we often do them in schools. We've usually trained teachers to deliver the interventions and teachers that's part of their role as an educator. Um, but we in supporting and a teacher supporting a young person with a disability to identify kind of their career pathways and dreams, they identified that they wanted to be the SDLMI coach and teacher supporting other students with disabilities because their lived experience brought a lot to the table that they could share with others and they were interested in that teaching pathway and it was just this aha moment for me where I was like well why aren't we training um, you know self-advocates and others with lived experience to be co-facilitators or to lead facilitation it creates a career pathway it's going to lead to I believe better outcomes and so I think we just have to continue to push, push ourselves um, as you were saying um, Steve to really move to a place where people with disabilities are empowered to lead these activities, to be supported, to support others, and to really think about what options there are there um, and, you know, make sure that everyone has that meaningful seat at the table, as you said. Well, this has been um, a wonderful conversation. And of course, we want to respect Dr. Shogren's time and let her get back to the, the fantastic work that she's doing. Um, and for those that are uh, that are listening and interested in the inventory, uh, Dr. Shogren, would you just mind telling us again one more time uh, just what the web address is to find those? Yeah, if you go to self-determination.org, so self-determination.org, um, the inventories, as well as information about some of the other interventions um, and other tools that I've mentioned are all available there. Excellent. We appreciate that. I think, Steve, you had prepared a sort of closing question for us. Yeah. Um, so what do you see as the future of the self-determination movement? And what, what would you like to focus on next? That's a great question. And what I will say, and especially building on what we've been talking about previously, self-determination is all about the person guiding the process, having that agency over all parts of their lives. And I think that it really is empowering the next generation of people that are leading um, self-determination, assessment, intervention, research, to be people with disabilities, for them to have a full seat at the table across all stages of the process, whether it's research, whether or not it's implementation, whether it's evaluation, um, and to really recognize that it's only through those partnerships um, that we're actually going to do things um, that make a difference. And I hope too, you know, Steve, you ask about how we can build this into systems and what this looks like, I would like for all members of our community, of our policies um, and other areas to be more knowledgeable about just how important it is and how we often artificially limit opportunities for people with disabilities to lead the lives that they have every right to um, in ways that they choose. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Sugar. And you gave us a few um, marching orders to, to leave with, and we appreciate that. So thank you for listening to this episode of BOGScast, a podcast by the BOG Center on Developmental Disabilities. A full transcript of this episode can be found at thebogscenter.podbean.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite streaming service to stay up to date on the newest episodes. To learn more about the BOG Center, visit our website at rwjms.ruckers.edu backslash BOG Center. And follow us on Facebook at the BOG Center on Developmental Disabilities.